0: Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. Ozzy is about, I can hear him. Um, He's given up watching the Olympics at the moment. Uh, Today I have Gordon Mott on the podcast. And Gordon is the author of Lithuanian Lullaby. He, it was an... It is an American and Canadian number one bestseller in the Lithuania category. This book is being purchased all over the world, um, India, Europe, everywhere. Gordon, I have my copy and I am really enjoying it.
1: Welcome. You thank you for having me, Joe, and it's a pleasure to be here. I'm a little disappointed Aussie's not here, but uh, you know, when I am a big fan of the program, and I uh, I know that the number of barks is uh, shows his appreciation for the author. So I hope I hope at some point he shows up, but otherwise I'll be disappointed. Great to see you again.
0: Good, good. Well, where we're at, I can hear little feet up above. <laughs> So I have the TV on a bit, so hopefully he won't interrupt us, but if he does, we'll just pause for a minute and yeah. yeah.
1: Let him have his piece for sure. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Gordon, this book, I laugh because uh, my spouse saw me reading it. Right. And he's like, that's a big book. Okay.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness.
0: And, um, But to me, it's it's like an epic story. Just, you know, I literally, I was reading it. I think you saw my post. I was reading it on the ferry, the Brentwood Bay Ferry. And I really, I thought, I want to be on a beach reading this. You know, it's just, you just want to get down into it, you know. Um, And I'm curious to find out how many interviews have you been on?
1: Oh my goodness! Well, hey, the uh, you know it's been uh, it's been humbling. This is my first book, uh, or now, now I have two out, yeah. and this was my first one. It's a very long read, as you know, and uh, I was surprised that there was uh, so much an interest uh, in the book. But I would say we're probably close to double digits now. So uh, we're probably close to 10. Gosh. And um, we, uh, we've we had interest from, I've been in um, media outlets in um, Chicago, Lithuania, of course, yeah. uh, Prague, London, uh, yeah, Radio Free Europe, a journalist from Radio Free Europe wrote a, a book review, which was a lovely uh, surprise. And it was a very positive one. So I'm, uh, I was very pleased with that. But um, this uh, this coming Month September, uh, Lady uh, Lithuanian Radio and Television, which is equivalent of BBC uh, or NPR or CBC, they will do a um, a little expose. So I'll not only be covered on their website, but I am hoping to do an interview with their English with uh, part of their English language service from Berlin. So I am very excited about that prospect. But um, but this one with uh, at the dressing room. Uh, is particularly um, a special one for me, Joanna. So I'm very grateful for you uh, inviting me along because it's Thank my uh, first Canadian interview. and uh, I live in Vancouver. Yeah. so it's a uh, it's, uh, it's, it's it's near to my heart. so I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. Well,
0: I was telling my spouse about this interview yesterday, and I was I told him I, how popular your book is and the coverage you're getting. And I did. I said to him, why isn't Canada picking this up? <laughs> right? You know? And like so, I am really honored to be interviewing <laughs> you. I really am. So his comment was, Well, right now it seems like um everything's a sound bite, you know? And I go, Well, I'm glad I feel like <laughs> I've got the scoop. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I've got the scoop.
1: So well, oh, and you know, we're we're so um, removed sometimes from the rest of the world here. The the, um, uh, the a book about that really focuses on those ten years of liberation, the liberation of Eastern Europe, uh, doesn't attract quite as much attention uh, in a place like Canada as it might in um, you know in Europe or in, or in or in Britain. So yeah. um, I can see it a little bit. Okay. So that's yeah. why I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah. Okay. So. Before we get into this book, you independently published it. And I was wondering, was there one moment, one interview that just blew up the popularity of Lithuanian Lullaby?
1: Oh, my. Um, You know, there was. Uh, They're the largest newspaper uh, news media organization in the country is a uh, newspaper called Lietuvos Rytas and or Lithuanian Morning and you know we learned uh something that's kind of unusual about the age that we live in so um it's a big news uh, paper, news uh media outlet but they still do a physical print of their of their newspaper um and there's not many around that still do it uh, and i can tell you jo, when that paper started hitting the doorsteps in Europe we were just inundated with, uh, with phone calls and texts. It's amazing that, uh, people who buy a newspaper, I guess they're vested. They've paid a Euro or whatever for it. And, uh, they, they tend to read a cover to cover and they tend to read entire articles. And there was a lot of excitement. You know, the only, the only problem was there's a time change there. And, uh, our phone started ringing late evening and they oh, went no. right through, right through the night. So, uh, it was great to hear from uh, so many of our Lithuanian friends and, uh, and but uh, once that uh, that broke early Uh, I think it was maybe one of the second third uh, media outlets to cover that book and it was um, once it um, once that one got out uh, there was just a storm of sales and then additional media um, attention that came through
0: cool cool I'll grab a paper like I know um, (laughs) like I said I Ed's commented he goes wow you were old school, you know, cause I was just flipping through and it, it's, I find it's more relaxing.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a, uh, it's, and I, I find I'm reading the entire article as well. It's uh, when you're on the, on the, uh, you're on the internet now it's just so much information coming at you that it's nice to be able to focus on something and to touch something and this is something and i I suppose you're an author you've probably learned this as well but uh, the physically printed books they they sell really really well uh the diehard readers still want that physical experience Uh, it's not good enough to put it on the kindle right (laughs) there you go yeah
0: yeah yeah definitely so i'm curious Was publishing your book through a traditional publisher ever a thought that crossed your mind or did you know right from the outset you were going to go independent?
1: Oh my goodness, Joanna. I I never thought anybody would read the book. I can say, if you say that the answer was no, uh, I, I, uh, uh, so, and if, if you're lucky enough, and I think you, you might have one, if you're lucky enough to get a first edition, you'll probably still find a dozen typos or even more, uh, he, he, after re- having it read uh, carefully by others and myself I must have read eight or nine times mm-hmm. I thought it was perfect and of course it isn't and had you had I worked with a professional publisher those that, that wouldn't have uh, that wouldn't have gone through but for the for the for the formatting and for um the book cover and that sort of thing it was done by a professional um publisher in Manchester and they did a uh, they did a really good job they did a great job look aesthetically uh, appealing yeah
0: yeah definitely Okay, so why Lithu- Lithuania? Like, what's the connection for you
1: to want to to write this story? It, it's such a mysterious. Um, I think it's such a mysterious location, and it's a it's a place with such a tremendous history. It's. Um, And it's very tragic uh, history over these last hundred years with people being uh, deported to Siberia and uh, then the Nazi invasion and then the Soviet invasion and then more, uh, more, um, more people sent being sent to Siberia and then there's this beautiful time right of this beautiful okay. time of uh of um re-refinding themselves re-establishing themselves not only as an independent country not controlled by Germans or Russians or what have you but also uh refinding themselves as a democratic country and a country that uh, there's a Trading culture in in Lithuania. It's a port country. It's on the Baltic, and finding that um, finding that access to. Be entrepreneurial again, to to okay. be able to trade with uh, with people in the West and um, uh, and go about their lives without other people telling them how to run their lives, being able to speak freely without other people telling them what they can say and what they can't say. Yeah. Uh, so it was a magnificent uh, time, and I, I thought it deserved some some treatment. Good. Well, lots of memories
0: or com- not that I've experienced anything which when we'll talk about vana, vana. Okay. Um, but I just remember with my mom having grown up in Hungary, and she would say to she educated my sisters and I, and she had said, I grew up in a time where you didn't complain about anything to your neighbor or to anyone because you didn't know whether they would then tell the secret police.
1: Correct. Right. Yeah. And So, yeah, you're absolutely right, right? And you know, I I've felt so. My connection to yeah. the countries. Um, I, I, one journalist called me a Lithuanian American. I'm neither. <laughs> I am uh there, uh, uh, but it, it, but it's 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 quite a compliment to be adopted yeah. by a uh, by, uh, by a country. And I think it's the first country that's ever uh, ever done that. The other countries that have given me citizenship have been compelled to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, so years ago, I had an unusual encounter, uh, and I was actually living out east. I was living in Ontario, and uh, I was at a university called Trent University. It's in Peterborough, Ontario, and I was in my second to last year of of study in, in political science, and I met a gentleman his name was Darius, a very uh, fellow student, and he was an exchange student and uh, from Lithuania, the first exchange student that um, that uh, had ever uh, Trent had ever taken, and um, he was he was really inspiring. Uh, okay. Here was somebody that um was getting as i mentioned getting his country back getting and and getting to do stuff that would be normal stuff uh for us in the west uh, to travel Mm -hmm. to have interactions and not to be frightened about what yeah what he said and uh i was also very interested in this as you can tell from the book (laughs) this period of what was happening around me right Uh, this was would have been about this would have been september 1991 when i think I, i met him So uh, he actually uh, had a great suggestion. He suggested that I come and teach um, at at, uh, in university. uh, at a high school level in um, Lithuania. And he and he actually worked that out with the Ministry of Education. I started getting letters from the Ministry of Education in Lithuania, inviting me to come and teach. And I, I said, sure. So I, um, I um, summer of 93, I packed up my bags and I went off to Lithuania for a year. And mm-hmm. to your point, it was, we saw that, you know, you saw the reluctance of some people to engage in conversations, even though, The world had moved. Uh, There was, I think, there was concern among some that the world could move back. And culturally, this has had impact as a psychology. Right? We're very used to blabbering off our mouths and saying whatever we like, and that wasn't the case uh, case then. It certainly is now.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. So, in your book, six main characters. Okay, and their stories intertwine. And Like you say, the story takes place between 1987 and 1997. So, you're teaching in Lithuania. What was that first what if that I always love knowing? That character was it a character spark? Wasn't it an idea? What was that first what if, and what character did it involve?
1: Oh, my goodness, Joanna, you ask uh incredible questions. Well, I want to know <laughs> <laughs> the um. Do I have an answer for that? You know, I I I, I do. There was a um uh there w- there was a moment, and ironically, it does not involve any of the Lithuanian uh characters. So to your point, there are uh, there are six characters, uh three are Western characters. There's uh two Britons, an American, and a Hungarian. Yeah. Who you mentioned, Vanna, and two Lithuanians, um uh, Tanya and Darius. The Sylvanna. So is actually smuggled it it cuts her way through a wired fence in um in hungary with her boyfriend in 1987 to to, uh because they want to come to to the west and work and, and see what life is like there and she manages to get to to england
0: yeah
1: and things go very badly yeah. So she um, she uh, her relationship with her boyfriend sours. Uh, she's indebted to smugglers. It's a very difficult situation, and then she gets mugged. Mm-hmm. So she gets robbed um, in front of a pub in central London, and it's a catalyst event. Yeah. Um, and her life in the short term gets so much worse. And but without that mugging the beautiful part of the book can't take place so she gets mugged in front of this pub and two drinkers run out from the pub two of the western characters so it's the first time we see the interaction between the eastern and western characters uh something that becomes more intense as the 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 book uh, progresses but because and they, they, they offer to help her out. They, um, they they buy her a drink. They try and calm her down. They lend her £10. They they The police station is very nearby. They walk her to the police station, to help her with the incident report and what have you. And that turns out to be a fatal mistake for her. Right. Because what she's... Um, they actually recover her belongings. So the police recover Vanna's belongings along with her Austrian passport. Mm-hmm. And something sparks the constable... As being unusual about that passport, because he had done the interview and had recalled her some her making a remark about working, yeah. and the problem with the passport it had didn't have a visa, it didn't mm-hmm. have a work permit, and at that time Austria was not a member; it was a neutral country, wasn't a member of the what was then called the EEC, uh, forerunner to what we know now as the EU. And so he he alerted immigration, uh, which would have been a minor thing at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. She probably went to a lecture and told not to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Immigration looked at that passport and realized it had been doctored, that it was a fake, that the photograph had been changed. And uh, they asked the police to uh, call her back and if she came and picked up her stuff, to arrest her. And that's what they did. So she comes and picks up her stuff. They arrest her for a forged document and an Im- immigration offenses. And she gets locked up in an immigration detention facility. And um, that's where she meets Darius. Yeah. And uh, she's Darius gets refugee status. He's from Lithuania, uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And she mm-hmm. doesn't, because at this point Hungary is quite advanced, and they don't believe that she'll face persecution. So she's, mm-hmm. she she Darius offers to marry her, and she she says yes. So that's a, really the bottom of her life, right? She's been uh, put in prison, uh, prison like facility. She's been uh, she's agreed to a marriage of convenience, but that's when her life. Is allowed to change. So now mm-hmm. she has status in the UK. Darius turns out to be a decent guy, and she takes a job at a at a pub, working in a kitchen in Oxford, and from there works out her way up to head chef. And then she gets interested in business, and she uh, uh, she uh, she builds a business from there in uh, in Lithuania eventually, and she becomes interested in in spirituality and philanthropy, and so she becomes a really important member of her of the world's community by the end of the book and, and she starts as this teenage girl that's just trying to figure out how to get through life so, uh, so that's a catalyst moment
0: <laughs> okay so was she was she that spark though was she the one that made you decide to build to write this book um
1: or was it that's a really interesting question as well um I think the uh, vanna uh, the hungarian character and i I think that's the irony of writing books is that the story that i was in in, intending to tell um about the uh, lithuanian independence and what have you um people love vanna who's a hungarian (laughs) And I'm often asked, "Well, what happens to Vanna after the book? Right? What's the next step?" And I did a sequel. I didn't include her, but I, uh, uh, you know, I'll have to have a look at that. But no, the the impetus for for the for the original book was, it, it was. To talk more about East and West and it coming together, but then the Lithuanian byline starts to really play out. And uh, I realized I was on to something early in the book when starting to talk about the developments, and realized this is a story that had not been oh. told. And it's oh, there I got one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Aussie? Oh, Aussie oh, fantastic! So that's yeah. two bucks. I feel much better. <laughs> the
0: um, w- Gordon, Gordon, just what, okay. Okay, so, so you the, were saying about the Lithuanian byline,
1: Gordon. Yeah, so the uh, the Lithuanian byline starts to take off a life of itself. So this is a really important story, and it's repeated in different parts of, uh, of Eastern Europe. And uh, I realized it's a story that is so important. That decade was so important in our world, and it was mm-hmm. such a positive 10 years, mm-hmm. and yet it gets so... Not enough, and particularly it's been, and maybe because I uh, this is early in the process, we're only thirty years out, but um, it's a uh, it's such a tremendous tremendous period, and I can tell you this the the symbolism in this book is pretty rife, Uh, and it's one of the things that I try to uh, include stuff that if you understood uh, the nuances of some of the history, then it's compelling. So that wired fence that. that Vanna cuts through, that fence is really important in European history. It's okay. um, it's a wired fence when she cuts through it. she They bribe a border guard to help them out. Yeah. And it's an electrified uh, wired fence. And But it also is, that fence represents one of the key elements of the collapse of the East Bloc. So it, by 1989, which is a pivotal year, by the end of 1989, the Berlin Wall is is breached and uh, mm-hmm. the peoples of Europe are are united. But that in in 1989, they replaced that wired fence with a with a wooden fence, and it was a purely a symbolic gesture between Austria and Hungary. Is, a Good neighbor should have fences, not, <laughs> not wooden fences, not uh, wires with electricity running through them. Yeah. Wow.
0: So your research, OK, I mean, I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, has Gordon ever been in a detention center in the UK? <laughs> um, have you ever been placed in a truck and smuggled into the UK? Because, again, your, your character, Vanna, I'm reading what she's doing and I'm wondering how does Gordon know this? Because you're an, an English teacher or an English teacher
1: (laughs) I was an English teacher many moons ago
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow so your research like how did it start?
1: I'm happy to say that I haven't (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I haven't been detained to date okay Uh, um you know, it's, and it's always a compliment. People ask me if, if parts of the book are autobiographical, or how I know that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the internet is such a friend. You know, we I, we started this uh, discussion by slagging off the internet, but uh, it, you know, as a, um, as a writer, particularly someone interested in historical fiction, the um, the amount of information, the nuances, if you're if you're willing to do the put in the work, the information you can find is is quite uh, quite incredible. So there was a, an immigration detention center. There, maybe there still is near Heathrow which is where vanna was kept that's a real place and i and the the uh depiction of that facility i've tried to be as close to the information as i as i could find i tried to be as close as as i could and that smuggling technique that vanna under yeah has to deal with Uh, she's put in a lorry and they're put at the front and then the boxes are piled behind them. And that's pretty common. Uh, That's a common technique. And sadly, um, she complains that it's really hard to breathe. And sadly two or three years ago, um, some, a group of Vietnamese, um, migrants uh, suffocated uh, I, in the front uh, being in transport in the same way yeah. so, so Vanna was lucky uh, but it isn't an uncommon way to, to to smuggle migrants.
0: I thought of that when I was reading that I thought I remember th- it I remember when it was on the news the yeah gosh okay. So Vanna, and I'm thinking the last name do you pronounce it? If I'm trying to remember what my mom used to say, is it Takash?
1: Yes, I think that would, that's probably better than right. I think okay. your mother probably has better pronunciation than me. <laughs> Takash, uh, we might say in English, but uh, yes, uh, think, you don't I, say I'll that. go with you. I'll okay. go with your, uh, your, your pronunciation.
0: It's, I don't think the S's are pronounced like S's. and I, I, remember, I think you're right. And I remember her trying to teach me Hungarian and saying she'd look at, I think it was an O with the two dots. This, oh, I, I, you know, that's why I'm enjoying your book because my mom's no longer with us, and it's just bringing back memories. And she would say, "The oh, you pronounce it as a uh. (laughs) You know, I'm eight, and I'm like, "Really?"
1: (laughs) It it is not an easy language. (laughs) No, nor is Lithuanian for that matter. Yeah.
0: So, like I said, my mom was Hungarian, and Vanna's dialogue, and there was a particular sentence where. Vanna refers to one of the smugglers as being a, a big man. And I remember my mom telling me she would talk about somebody she knew and she goes, yeah, he's a, he's a big man, but that was not a compliment. You know, like when she said that it was like, it was almost like, yeah, he's a big man. Not, she didn't mean it in the physical, but it was almost like, he's a big man. um, Almost like, gangster type uh not a nice person or like to think of himself as a big man when really he wasn't so that was very cool to read and um so i was wondering with the like how did you decide that you wanted vanna to be hungarian okay i I'm, i'm always how how did you decide it (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad Vanna made, uh, again, I underestimated the, uh, the, the just the devotion for Vanna. I love her too. Uh, she's a, yeah. a very uh, kind uh, person and very um, motivated uh, yeah. as the book progresses. Uh, I, I think there's probably a couple of reasons. I, I think that the, what, one of the obvious ones is that, uh, as I mentioned, in 1987, yeah. it's very hard to leave the East Bloc. Okay, uh, Hungary is one of the few places where it might—it would have been possible. And either through getting a visa to go to Austria, or uh, doing what Vana does, which is paying somebody off, right? The communism was really coming to an end. Uh, communists are still in charge. <laughs> uh, yeah, some people say they weren't real communists by that time, and they, certainly economic liberalization was occurring. Tourism within the country, uh, encouraging foreign tourists to come, and. and not restricting them uh, to talking with locals and and what have you, which was something really guarded in many of the other countries, and, and you know travel opportunities that were starting to crop up um, for for people that live there. So it would have been possible for vanna to have gotten out and uh and her boyfriend and um and to smuggle themselves into to western europe and and which is what they did there there is another reason though (laughs) i have an attachment to hungary i um it's a uh, an emotional attachment i think it's one of my favorite countries in in europe uh i grew up uh, you may have uh, you may have this background as well, but I grew up with Hungarians, they, uh, it was not a foreign culture to me, their parents were uh, had come after the revolution. 1956. And um, they so it was it was something that I, I was certainly familiar with. And I was actually in Hungary in 1987. So when Vanna escapes, I was I was, I spent a couple of weeks there. And it was a tremendous opportunity. And, and to the point about the liberalization of that state and her ability to leave the um, uh, I think it was only one of two countries at the time, that would allow someone poor, like myself, a backpacker, to, to actually get in and wander around, right? And, and, mm-hmm. I, and as I mentioned, I walked wandered around very freely all over Hungary and was able to have conversations. English was not well known at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people spoke a little bit of German. Uh some there was some English there. And mm-hmm. um and it was it was a fantastic experience. So that I was certainly able to take that information and and make it part of Vanna's experience as she crosses and um, and makes her way to to the UK. And also, she never really loses that Hungarian mm. kind of cultural stuff, uh, and it comes up through the book. And uh, I was familiar with that cultural those cultural pieces, having been exposed a little bit to to Hungarian culture.
0: See, because another of your characters, um, the young man, he backpacks through Hungary. George. Yeah. yeah. So drawing upon your experience?
1: Yes. With- so I do get to use autobiographical elements at times yeah. for some of my characters. And George <laughs> has some and uh, so, so does a few of the other uh the other characters. But yeah, you're 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 quite right. Uh yeah. he's um and and that that makes it kind of a funny interaction the first time that he uh uh that he meets her. Um uh <laughs> and unfortunately he speaks a bit of german and uh, so when he first meets her and she's claims to be austrian to them uh, he tries to speak uh, uh german and she rebuffs that and says she's she's a hungarian from a hungarian minority to my knowledge no, no such thing exists <laughs> <laughs> but she had to come up with something and yeah. uh anyway that was, yeah
0: because uh, there are it's yeah there are more characters than just Bana. i mean i'm reading it in the Oh, the fellow who's now, you know, intertwined with his coworker, the lady, and I'm just like, Steve. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just thinking, oh, Steve.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: What you getting up to here, Steve? Like, you just yeah. It's it's it's
1: it's cool. It is a really cool book. So, wait. So that I think some people might even be confused about what these Western characters and what their role is. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes, because you know, this is a book about Lithuania, and yet uh, Steve and Sandra—the only time they spend in Lithuania is very briefly. They go on there on holiday. But w- what I was trying to trying to show at the outset of the book is there's the Western culture is just um, so easy. Okay. So we've got the American character who's traveling around the world, and he's dating this French girl, and the, she's he's yeah. going to see her, and she's going to see him, and then they go off. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. To Australia for a while, and uh, it's um, uh, it's quite uh, you know life is good um, yeah. for for St- for Steve. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's a bit of a layabout at the beginning of the book, right? He doesn't, yeah. um, and he decides he wants to progress a little bit, and yeah. he doesn't need to put much effort in, and he starts climbing the corporate the 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 ladder at the British civil service, and um, and he he finds it quite easy to do that and he has all these wonderful adventures and and things like that and he gets his he wants to build career notoriety and he does it for the easterners it's so much harder it's a um, uh, you've got one that's a soviet conscript that's a refugee and in england you've got vanna whose story we've talked about and then we're going to be introduced to tanya later on in the book who's you know uh, her life is economically very very trying and um but so you're supposed to see the the, the rise of the East because the Eastern characters all rise through the book. And then you see the decline of some of the Western characters. And if you, uh, if you watch some of the nuances, you kind of understand there's a comparison of some of the good things about yeah. Eastern culture at that time compared to the Western culture. But I'll let readers figure that out.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I'm not done yet.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm>
0: done. <laughs> and that was one thing... I remember my mom used to say to us all the time, it was, you do not know how easy you have it,
1: Yeah, you know,
0: and yeah, okay, so Vanna gets involved, we're going to go back to her a little bit with Darius, and as I'm reading, I'm thinking, with regards to Darius, as I'm reading, I'm thinking, he's a spy. He's getting information from her, okay. He's trying to break the smuggling ring, um, because he's he comes, he does, he is very worldly, okay. I, when I was in, when he's he's in the detention center, too, and um, I was wondering, he is so very believable. Did you base him off of anybody you knew, or because how do I with I'm not saying with some of my character, okay, I will take. Bits of character, of char- I'll take characteristics. Now, people are going to be wondering who I'm basing my characters on. Here's an example. Okay. I'll take characteristics from people I know. In the current book that I'm working on, one of the characteristics of the hero <laughs> is he has really bad digestion. So there's scenes where he's always he's slugging back on um, Pepto-Bismol. Okay. Oh dear. Right. And uh, well, I'm sorry, Ed, okay. but that character <laughs> came to me because I was writing one day and literally my husband walked into the kitchen, opened up the fridge, grabbed the Pepto, took off the lid and went clunk. Right. And I, I just, you know, you know, Gordon, when you, you see, I think that's something with being a writer you see something transpire and you think, got to use that it brings such a human element to this character right so that's what that's where I'm kind of I'm not saying I'm not wanting to have you say oh Darius is based off of my best buddy that I met in the bar but was there characteristics from individuals that you drew upon creating Mm -hmm. Darius because he is very real
1: You know, so I have a confession. I'm glad uh, that's that's a lovely uh, comment. Actually, thank you for that. The uh, because uh, Darius might be the one exception that where his personality is very closely based on uh, my old friend Darius from (laughs) from university days. In in, and he's a very stoic, uh, cerebral. Uh, Almost like, uh, you remember Spock, uh, who was very, uh, uh, you know, it should always be about uh, reason and rationality. And yet, uh, the other part of Darius has a very warm soul. Right? Okay. So what we find out about Darius through the book, I don't know where, I, I, now I've got to be careful because I don't want to reveal anything you haven't read yet. <laughs> but he has he, he's a wonderful human yeah. and he doesn't seem like it, right? To yeah. his outsiders, he seems very stoic. And you called him worldly, yeah. uh, which I think is a very fair uh, description of him. So by the time we meet Darius, um, he's been in the Soviet army and uh, he was... Conscript in um, in Afghanistan, um, and it, through that, uh, you say he's like a spy. He was in some ways a spy. Um, he collaborated with the Houdin and um, uh, to because he uh, he had a, he despised the Soviet Union. Yeah. This is the, this is kind of the irony. So Darius wasn't alone, and uh, so I. I Certainly the character Darius that I portray, that's certainly has a big impact on him. You can we always thought of that kind of that Soviet army as being like a red menace, a red Russian menace, right? And yeah. uh, it was it was much more bizarre than that. It was a conscript army, a lot of conscripts. And it was also uh, filled with people like Darius. They, you know, we think of it as, a, uh, as all Russia at that time. Yeah. It wasn't. They were troops that were conscripts from Georgia, from Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, all these republics which were not sympathetic to the Soviet Union. Whoa. And so you can imagine being forced into this military which yeah. is what happened to him. And he decides to create his own uh, his, his own history by working with Georgian uh, uh, and working with the Mushahuddin and uh, sell, sell uh, drugs at the time. Yeah. And then they have to get, he has to get out of uh, his handlers and the Mushahuddin realize that Soviet authorities are working it out that uh, and he could get caught so they take out their people and they 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 walk them to pakistan to a place called Peshawar, Mm -hmm. and from there they're airlifted out to uh to the uk and Mm -hmm. um and then we begin the storyline in the uk with him being a refugee so Mm -hmm. yeah by the time he meets vanna he's had a lot of world experience and it hasn't always been positive so you can understand that that austere uh, spy-like uh, approach to the world yeah. that uh, really doesn't depict the real Darius that you'll get to, uh, to you get to learn about okay. hopefully as the book progresses
0: okay and the thing Something is <laughs> and the thing is these are characters you make up like, I mean that's the thing with writing you know you make up these characters and you want the reader to care about them you know and Good on you, because I, I sure do. And it, it, um, I like it when you bring in fact. Okay. And, and we'll get into that too, like real life facts. Um, so through Darius, the readers, I know I got an education. Like you said, Darius is a Soviet conscript. He meets Zurab. Am I saying that? Zorab, right? Yeah. Okay. Who's Georgian. Georgian. Yeah. And they're selling drugs to the Soviet soldiers. And I remember seeing, I don't know if it was a newspaper article, or I i had heard that Soviet soldiers have a heroin problem, okay? It was something I had just heard, and I went, oh, wow, you know? And then I kind of went on with my life, you know, and, and didn't think much more of it. You have dialogue in your book in which Darius says to Zurab, like, I thought this dialogue was dynamite, he says, you are bringing something sorely overdue to this Soviet army private enterprise. And he's talking about selling drugs, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. Okay.
1: they wow. very impressed with that. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, and it's just, you know, it's neat when you read something and you go, whoa. Okay. Just when you, you think of Soviet army and, and what they're talking about. Okay. So then Darius asked him, what's he going to do with the money? Yep. And Zurab responds that he's using all his money to bring about the defeat of Soviet forces in Afghanistan. Gordon, <laughs> oh, Gordon, Gordon. Okay. Okay. Then another part I really like you write on, it's on, I think it's on page 78. You write that the Soviet, some of the Soviet soldiers, this blew my mind. Some of the Soviet soldiers, Would trade their weapons when they ran out of money so they could get their drugs. um, So this is where I say, Gordon, a former American. I'm sorry, that was what the the other news media said. (sighs) Gordon, a Canadian school teacher who's instructed in Lithuania. How did you come about learning about um, the heroin problem with the Soviet soldiers? And them trading their weapons. How how did you find out yeah. about all that?
1: The heroin uh, problem with Soviet forces in Afghanistan is is pretty well known, um, and and, I, and I, so I gave you a little flavor of yeah. the conscript mentality. Um, We'll talk a little bit about that. Well, let me answer your first question, then I'll work backwards a little bit to explain some of this stuff. But you've got these conscripts, and some of them are from, from Russia as well, and and they might be a little bit more interested in, in winning the war. There, there, many of them were more interested in just going home, and it was a pretty rough gig. And um, heroin provided some uh, Provided some, was 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 very prevalent in Afghanistan, still is uh, one of the largest producers, and uh, it gave them uh, some relief from the current situation. And and one of the interesting things that occurred during this period, and it's pretty significant, and, I, and I'll tell you a little bit uh, more in, in a moment but uh, Western reporters were actually able to get in to Afghanistan during the war okay. and able to report on certain these, these kinds of circumstances and what have you. What's interesting is the people that got them in were, were, were Musha Houdin. They were, they were in collusion at that time with the Americans and the British, uh, which was ironic because later on uh, they become enemies. But uh, at that time, they were very much... Um, uh, allies, and so we were uh, Western viewers were invited to have a first hand uh, view, and I think there's a many things that are surprising about okay. some of that footage. Uh, one is the interaction between Musha Houdin, who are the enemy, with Soviet soldiers. Uh, oh. So there were connections within the forces, usually linked to the drug trade, and okay. so and those that were just addicts and those who wanted to make some extra money. So it wasn't about Soviet soldiers were very badly paid. This wasn't a war yeah. about being right for the people that were fighting it it was a war about what well, could you get out of it or well, how could you survive it and when could you go home <laughs> yeah. and uh, it's uh, it's it's kind of an a real anomaly in 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 a, in military history
0: you had an interview with the editor in chief of the baltic times and you say that the 1990s was a strange time for lithuania there was little heat no oh. hot water crowded living conditions, pitiful salaries, overcrowding, yet it was a time of hope. And you have real historic events with facts. You have espionage, human smuggling, yet intertwined with all that. I say are, okay, so let's say two love stories and a couple who are together. Okay. (laughs) And uh, so, did you feel that the love stories was like a vehicle to show your character's struggles and growth and to show hope as, as you had mentioned to this editor in chief of the Baltic
1: times? Well, that's a great, Hey, you know, that's a great question. Um, so th- this book is not, uh, not a history book. Uh, it's a, um, it's um it very much is about the life of these six people, with the backdrop of the tenor of the times of this yeah. important decade uh, that's occurring around them. And love is one of those um, elements. These are young people, and um, not only is there the relationship between the couples, but what I wanted to to demonstrate in the book is the is the love between them. Uh, so they have these are these are friendships that would have been impossible uh, except for the revolutions in eastern europe that allowed them to to occur and uh, and i'm fascinated with um, unorthodox uh, love as uh, as you will find or maybe have already found in uh, in the book the um so i think vanna actually uh, has this uh, she has a marriage of convenience mm. and um, uh, and she falls in love with her husband good good. <laughs> So, which I think is quite, quite cute uh, in a way, and he falls in love with her. Um, and but there's another one. If I can, take, if I can diverge a little bit. I, so the answer to your question is yes. I'm I'm trying to depict the the real life of uh, of these people, and n- n- not to put them in positions of um, where this is a history lesson, right? This is yeah. a, uh, this is their lives. But if you allow me, I'll tell you. Uh, I, I really enjoyed writing one part of this love story and uh if you allow me i'll tell all the listeners what uh yeah. without giving too much away
0: yeah it got me a cliffhanger now yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> but what, one of the relationships involves um a uh a russian uh, uh she's an ethnic russian girl who lives in Klaipeda she's an ethnic russian lithuanian girl mm-hmm. she lives in Klaipeda is on a coastal city and the teacher who's an american teacher uh george uh he um he, um, that they have a relationship and it's quite a cute love story. And she's works in a coffee shop and she actually works full time with special needs kids, mm-hmm. but she works in this coffee shop uh, a part time. And this was really normal for mm-hmm. the times. So st- jobs like state jobs, like teachers or even doctors, they were notoriously, badly paid during this era and people turn to the new free enterprise system as a way of making money on the side so Mm -hmm. that would mean you know going to the market to sell things and bringing stuff in from the west and selling them and and make and producing more from your garden to sell it uh Mm -hmm. or working somewhere like in a shop or a coffee shop or what have you but anyway he um uh she's working in this coffee shop he comes in every saturday and uh for his coffee and he he begins his fantasy of her right he's really obsessed with this kind of fantasy and the fantasy is interrupted a little bit because one time she's she's they're there and it's not that busy and she comes and sits with him yeah. and the, so he, he he doesn't know how he feels about that because the he, you know i think we've all had fantasies and this yeah. reality sometimes starts to infringe on the fantasy and it's not yeah. so nice yeah. and he doesn't know how what to think about this yeah. and uh and and also the conversation is very hard because she doesn't speak english and his lithuanian is really poor oh. and um uh but a, f- a few days after this event he happens to bump into her ironically enough in the market in a place that he wasn't expecting to see her and it was a surprise and she says something to him he turns around and he does something quite odd yeah. he, he hugs her oh wow and it was it was something that you know probably wouldn't be okay in our society, definitely yeah. not in Eastern uh, society and a uh, uh, culture. And there's also a, 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 a big age gap, right? She's nineteen. We find out later in the book. He's about twenty-three, yeah. and but he does this, and he's surprised that he does it. It was just a shock that to see somebody uh, familiar face in a place that uh, made him a little bit nervous. Yeah. And uh, she just goes with it. She's uh, very easygoing uh character yes. and uh, from there the next saturday now he's really upset about this he's embarrassed himself his fantasy has been interrupted he doesn't know how this is going to re- re- react he even hesitates about going back there but he goes on the saturday it's another quieter today and she uh she Serves him his coffee. Everything's okay, and then she comes and sits with him again. She's uh, she's learned a few. She she learned a few English words to see if you could start a conversation, yeah. and she asks him if he wants to go and see a museum. That's, uh, and then so we have this strange ritual of dating that occurs where they don't have a common language and it's they communicate and it's quite a beautiful I think it's quite a beautiful beautiful story about how they uh how they um you know they uh conduct this romantic relationship and it actually he becomes even more obsessed with her and this is and asks her to marry him and um this is where the media attention in with the Lithuanian media is really focused, was really focused on the marriage of Tanya. So really? Marriage, yeah, it was because it was such a a common phenomenon that no one had really been able to, I think, to articulate uh, okay. previously. So you had this clash, firstly, this clash of cultures. Yeah. Um, it was very common for Lithuanian girls to marry foreigners at that time. Oh, okay. And there was a mass exodus of uh, that demographic, and and it's 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 um, it's such a hard thing, and there's lots of reasons for it. I could, that's I think that's a whole new interview. But she she's really torn uh, because her, her in Eastern culture, there's such a close connection between family and network of yeah. friends you often call the network family and friend and she one of her caveats to marrying this American was that she needs to be there to support her mother and her and her son and sorry and her, her brother yeah. uh, her mother's son uh, who has um, Down syndrome oh, and okay. um, so sh- she's outraged when the American um, has uh, been talking to a firm in Seattle and has a job offer, right? Yeah. And uh, he, she's, she's absolutely distraught about this. And she goes home to her mother and says, "This done with this jerk. Can't believe he would do that. And the mother actually talks her into taking a chance and, okay. and, and going with him to America. And um, so she has a, there's a perfunctory wedding. It's rushed because they need an American visa. This was very usual. This really? was not unusual at all. Okay. Because they needed, it wasn't like the story of the French girl and and, the, yeah. and George at the beginning where they're traveling around doing, if if you want to be with your Lithuanian girlfriend, you sort of have to make a commitment. Uh, it's a, because uh, no one wants Lithuanian passport holders coming into into britain or america or whatever at that time yeah. right so uh, there were a lot of marriages that were rushed through and uh and then she begins this time in america that where she's used to this supported network of of a family and she's by herself with a husband that she's only known a few uh, months for all of her emotional needs, and and they're high because they um, she's in a culture she doesn't understand. She's dealing in a language that she doesn't understand, and that was that was really compelling uh, for Lithuanian uh, media, not only in Lithuania but for the. Uh, diaspora, uh, who had come uh, okay. to America during that period, right? I think it speaks to particularly young women who found yeah. themselves in these relationships, right? And that the story of Tanya is is very. I hope resonates with that yeah. uh, with that demographic. I hope I haven't spoiled that piece of the book. No, I left out a lot of stuff. Because
0: <laughs> now, I think that story that does that continue to book two.
1: It does. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. you've been uh, you've obviously been uh, reading. Yes, I had a new uh, book coming out. Uh, it just came out uh, last month. And uh, yeah, it does it continues that beautiful relationship between George and Tanya, but it's a, it's a much different book, and there's a lot of stress on that relationship. But I won't spoil that second. No, book. no, 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 no,
0: no, getting back to your, getting back to Lithuanian lullaby, so dealer's child is coming out in September. I highlight events in 1968. So I'm working fiction and to nonfiction or non-fiction. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it's 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 for it's mostly yep. fiction. Okay. I know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So I need a timeline to keep events in order and even birth dates. Okay. For example, you know, you were you had mentioned in the beginning about, you know. Doing that reader's proof of your book, you know how many times. And I highlight, I bring in the in 1968, Mexico had this um, the Olympics, and it was in October. So it was weird because I'm I'm reading and I don't think readers understand where I mention Mexico Olympics 1968, October. And then I have a line where um, my, my character is saying how she's listening to Steppenwolf's um, Magic Carpet Ride. And I just thought, uh, was it released? When was yes. it released, yep. <laughs> right? When was this song released in conjunction with the Olympics, right? So like you said, yep. I'm, I'm on Google. Ooh, okay, <laughs> it was released September 1968, okay? And then I'm reading again. And it's I mentioned the Rolling Stones, Um, can't get no satisfaction and it's like (gasps) when when was that released 1965 and I'm like okay I'm good and it all came about because my editor she had pointed out to me it had to do with my heroine's birth date in conjunction with um, the mom's birth date in conjunction with events that were happening in 1968 like it's you need a timeline
1: so oh it's tough your
0: book covers 10 years yes <laughs> so, it was tough <laughs> I was gonna say what did you do did you have like a timeline an excel spreadsheet
1: <laughs> it, well yeah you know, I, I always um uh, this was some advice I uh, received um that once you're Once you've completed the book, make sure you have an Excel spreadsheet, right? Where you're actually plotting that timeline (laughs) Uh, because chances are you have to rewrite parts of it, right? And it's so hard because you don't want to lose the, uh, you don't want to lose the flow of the thing. Uh, So you're writing and you're throwing in stuff and then you have to go back and check and say, could that have? was that correct in <laughs> the timeline or what have you? And there's a lot of research, but, yeah. you know, I, I probably like yourself. So after thorough research uh, and building my spreadsheet and, and yeah. going back and rechecking and, and, and you know what, you'll be in the middle of the night and this thing will come to you and say, could that have happened? Um, <laughs> the uh, just a minute. I don't remember when that, uh, when that song came out or when that, yeah. <laughs> Oh, maybe the olympics didn't start till <laughs> yeah. or that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah. this this is it. I, so w- w- you know what I did was um even uh so you you even though I thought I had encapsulated uh and been pretty thorough it goes off yeah. to the story readers. Yeah. And i chose chosen two um, story readers specific uh, and some others, but two specifically because of their background. One was a historian. The other one was a, um, a civil servant because there's a big civil service, pretty civil service byline in the story. And civil servant came back with a whole bunch of uh, minor stuff, which yeah. surprised me because I thought I'd written it. But when I, sure enough, uh, it was the, time the what I was saying was right but the timing wasn't quite right right it's okay. a uh so I was writing about the you know, 1980s and this didn't or the nineties and he said no that stopped in the 80s or this yeah. or you know and this kind of stuff so I had to rewrite that piece but it was a Lithuanian historian that was really interesting. Uh he okay. had gotten there was about 50 he had taken the extra step of actually rewriting suggestions. Oh, wow okay. and I think I took all of them except uh, one which was yeah. a bit of an argument between us the um but um he had he had written um, about about fifteen locations where he felt that it wasn't that it, it was wrong. It's just that he felt that the nuance wasn't quite right, okay. and that the character would have probably have done it slightly differently. And so we uh, we did that. And I rewrote it, but you know, for story readers, I don't know how you operate, but I um, you know I didn't offer. Uh, any cash uh, incentives. I, I sent them gifts afterwards. But he asked me, Actually, I, I knew I Bottles was onto something. And of wife. Yeah. And you know what? They probably deserve a case. I don't yeah. think I said a case, but uh, I knew I was into something when he, uh, he asked for something. He, his view of the book was that he really wanted the 15 changes to be made uh, because he thought the book was very important. To the okay. telling of the story of his people, yeah. and which I which I was very complimented by, but the um, he had included a piece, and he said, "I would like you to consider this." And he'd included he wanted a cameo appearance of someone with his wife's name. Oh, jeez and he was quite humble about it but i was quite chuffed that somebody would actually want this so i i it wasn't it didn't quite work with uh, i wrote it in i had to work on his work a little bit but yeah. uh, i don't think you, you tell me you fin- when you finish the book you can t- you could tell me where that you thought that cameo was okay <laughs> but okay. Uh, yeah it was it was a real compliment and uh, oh. and uh, so that was part of my gift back to uh, okay. back to him was that i could include his uh, his wife's name in the book
0: yeah so the cover. You mentioned about it was done in the UK. So it's beautiful. So th- is this, this is an actual city? Yes. Okay. Talk
1: to me it, about this cover. It is beautiful. You know? Now I'm a little bashful about talking to the cover with you because I've seen some of your art, <laughs> Joanna. So uh I-, I wish I could claim that I was creative and artistic like yourself, but I, um, <laughs> I'm mostly a poser. <laughs> that, um <laughs> The, that's a beautiful, uh, that's, it was a beautiful book cover and I mm-hmm. can't take any credit for it. It's a, that city is Vilnius under a, a moonlit sky and, and, and the um, crescent moon sky. And, and I, I can tell you they sent the publisher uh, along with the a manuscript, a a view of what I wanted in this book. And it was, and there was a couple of PowerPoint slides. One was six people on it and another one is very, very busy. And he replied with that cover. And if you really look, so, and uh, if you look at the cover carefully, you'll actually notice there's six stars, three in the East and three in the West. So uh, his suggestion by sending me out was do away with all these faces on the book of your cover let the reader's imagination capture that yeah. and uh, you uh uh you let those symbolize um that uh those stars in the sky right that is it's a beautiful cover
0: cool oh yeah yeah not faces i yeah
1: no nope. here yeah. yeah east and west and oh, the, as you can see that's a beautiful city a lot of people don't um a lot of people don't i you know uh, i think a lot of attention has been drawn to lithuania by readers that have, have read this book that have not seen uh lithuania N- not only to that history but the beauty of this country it's a it has beautiful um beautiful beaches uh it has beautiful cities that are that are um uh, you know from the middle ages and um Lithuania was spared a lot of the architectural damage that occurred after the war, and they they survived. These a lot of these buildings, as depicted in the book, also survived neglect. Um, The Soviets really wanted to treat the backwaters, the provinces. They didn't want to put their resources there, right? They so the old town of like Vilnius or. Uh, Plymouth uh, or uh, some and some of the other cities they were really run down when I lived there, but uh, they have been completely restored and and, and are very beautiful locations, uh, well worth a visit if you're ever in the in the in Europe. Uh, okay. Join. <laughs>
0: okay, okay, okay. So, Gordon, is there anything you would like to add? What are you working on next? you've just had a second book come out so that you've got to be working on something
1: <laughs> yes well you know I, I I'm going through a thinking process so yes we uh the angels of plepeda just uh, came out and it's a uh, it's a book that uh it actually shifts gear a little bit we don't deal so much with the history of uh Lithuania uh, more so lebanon uh because one of the characters is taken um taken hostage and I, I wanted they say never write a book about Islamic Terrorism. Yeah. Uh, people around the world are tired of that. But I have written a book, and it but it has a different uh, different feel for it, and okay. it might be a little bit more controversial. There's some of the there's a main character in the book whose views are very much aligned with um, um, uh, with Hezbollah, and okay. uh, her views are treated very sympathetically, and she gets an opportunity to portray why she's there, right? Yeah. Why why she has those thoughts. So uh, we'll see. It's a very very different book. Uh, so perfect. that one's. That's, that's book three. two. No, that's book two. Uh, Angels oh, of Clibada. Okay. So it has an ironic uh, name because it yeah. revolves around Tanya who goes back to Clibada, which is in Lithuania, but uh, it's a um, uh, it's a different uh, different kind of book there, very different than Lithuanian lullaby. The third book I'm still working on. Again, there's a really really interest, uh, and I can tell that uh, from yourself as well, Joanna, in in Vana and what happens to her, yeah. and at the end of that last book, she's built up this life, and uh, she's pregnant, actually, in the last few pages, go, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> <laughs> and there is interest uh, in, in what happens to her. You, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go back and I started a bunch of research I wanted to actually, instead of going forward, because uh, in some ways she's reached a kind of zenith in her life, you know, even though she's in her late 20s. But I wanted to go back to Hungary in the 1980s and explore that teenager, right, and how she oh, got okay. where, but it, uh, when I started working on it, it became much harder than I thought. <laughs> And uh, you're really strapped when you strapped yourself like that too, because yeah. you, you know where it has to go. Uh, yeah. She has to get across that fence. And I wanted to build that character and understand that teenager that uh, yeah. she was. Uh, but in the end, I don't think going to go that way. So uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah. But uh, I am thinking about that. Anyway.
0: That's interesting. That's, epic. Oh God, I could talk about characters God, I love talking
1: about writing. <laughs> well, and, and also I do take liberties. Uh, and uh, certainly Tanya, Tanya in the second book is, um, so, so uh, I believe there's a little bit of evil in everyone and a little bit of good in everybody. <laughs> and yeah. so um, uh, in, in the characters, sometimes they do things that you may not subscribe to, but still uh, still are very endeared to them. And sometimes you, the bad guys, turn out to be good. So it's a, uh, if, if you can pull that off and it's believable, then, uh, then it can be, have a real impact on readers.
0: Yeah. So one last thing, oh God, you were talking about, I'm just thinking when you said there's a little bit of evil and a little bit of good in a person, when you were talking about Darius and how the Soviet army and some of them, they were paid poorly And they would sell the drugs. Mm -hmm. When you were mentioning that, I was thinking about, okay, if you put your average, I I say average, meaning, I mean, a non-criminal, okay, because I come from from working at the prosecutor's office. You put someone in that army who, let's say, doesn't have a criminal record, has never taken drugs but you put that character in that sort of a situation, how much will they endure before they may start selling drugs just to try to get a better life? Like, I'm not saying that's what they should do, but you, that's to me, that is the question I always like. Yes, it is.
1: And, and, you know, you're quite, You're quite right because uh, what I what I don't explore, and you're quite right, is the impacts of that on those comrades that he's that he's um, selling those drugs to. Which, uh, but he uh, for him, it's ideological, and put in that situation where he can actually he's been forced into fighting this war, which he opposes uh, against people that he he's not interested in 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 fighting against. Uh, He makes this decision, and I. I don't explore those who could have overdosed or yeah. died or what have you. But it, one of the key reasons he's doing is because it slows things down, right? Yeah. It slows down the military apparatus, and it also provides a, uh, a source for money to the mujahideen. So the yeah. the drugs that he sells, uh, he keeps a commission, but the um, the remainder of the money goes back to help uh, supply the mujahideens with, uh, with armaments in order to, to defeat the Soviet uh, yeah. Soviet forces. So it's it's a, uh, it's, e- is he evil for doing that? I'll let yeah. the readers figure that out. <laughs> well, it's that
0: doing something not morally acceptable, like Correct. selling drugs to soldiers, but your justification is for a good cause or yeah, a good, in your yeah. mind for a good yeah. reason, right? Oh.
1: And I, and I think in, in this case, right, perhaps yeah. legitimate, but you also have to be careful and, and uh, uh, you'll see some of this stuff of rationalization where you take yeah. uh, morally bad decisions and you rationalize them. I don't know how many times you've seen people do that. Uh, and so where does it stop, right? Yeah. Where does a something bad that you've done is justifiable because the outcome is what needs to occur versus I've done something bad and, and I'm going to justify it based on this, right? Yeah. And, uh, I wouldn't accuse Derek of that in Lithuanian Alibi. I think he's doing what he feels is the right thing to do in order to stop uh, that aggression in Afghanistan.
0: Yeah. Gordon, this has been great. Yeah, this has been fantastic,
1: Joanna. Pleasure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, I haven't been booking podcasts for next year yet, but If you like, I mean, this is six months since this book has been came out and people are still talking about it. Okay, so six months from now, if you're free in January, and we could talk about um, the in the. Angel, angels honestly, of Clypeda. i haven't had my coffee honestly i've done pretty good seriously
1: well I, I i think you've done very well with those questions you put me on the spot so that's uh i i don't think you need it
0: well but anyways if you were interested early january we could do another podcast talking about your second book
1: oh i would love that Excellent. i hope people are so interested in the angels of klypeter by uh By uh, 2022, but uh, yeah, uh, sign me up, uh, Joanna, and And thank you uh, so much again for taking the time. Good,
0: good. This has been fun. Okay, bye, Gordon. Bye-bye.